Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm Tony Dragispoch, the CEO at Capital Aluminium, Australia's largest manufacturer and distributor of aluminium products. Our core business is the manufacture of aluminium extrusions produced in six manufacturing plants located in all the mainland states of Australia. Two thirds of our volume is sold directly from our plants to large customers with the other third of our volume going through our own distribution centers, which we have nationally right around around Australia. Brilliant, Tony, lovely to meet you. Um, and thanks for coming on the show. Gonna learn a little bit about your company today, Capral. Um, but I'm gonna to to take it back a little bit, if you don't mind, because it's it's a space I don't think many people necessarily um, have done a lot of work trying to understand. So it, tell us a little bit about the products that you have and the, the products that you create and sell, first of all, just to understand that. Okay, so we produce aluminium extrusions. We buy billet from mainly Australian smelters. Uh, we extrude that through what we call extrusion presses. So around 3000 ton um, capacity. Um, we push the extrusion through a die and, and manufacture every month around three or 4,000 different extrusion shapes. Those extrusions go into the manufacture of things like windows and doors, um, particularly it's our biggest single market, but also into building truck bodies and, and, and boats. Right, like that. What what are the you were three or four thousand of the KPIs there? So what 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 are the main ones? What are the ones that that comprise the bulk of your revenue? The bulk of our revenue uh, is extrusions that we sell to window and door manufacturers, and they produce window systems out of them. Got it. So the property boom in Australia is helping you at, at, at the moment, I suspect. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. Absolutely. But you do things. You do do things in terms of in the transport sector as as well. But that's what it's yeah. a smaller portion of your revenue. Yes. So. The construction industry, both residential and commercial, generates around 60% of our volume and 40% of our volume goes into a wide range of industrial applications. The two largest are truck building and boat building. Got it, understood. So we sort of know, I just want to add one as a picture of the sorts of products that you create, first of all. So let, let's take, let's go back a bit, okay? If I look back from uh, 17 through to uh, 19, fairly flat, if anything, slightly downward mover in your share price, but COVID came along and you seem to have reacted quite well as, as, as a company to that or taken advantage of that situation, despite, I, I saw a claim in a, a statement from you saying, you know, impact, impacted, operations impacted by COVID. Is the, is the behaviors of people in Australia, consumers, retail, housing sector, government, has that driven it or is it something that you've done? Look, there's a number of things that have impacted upon our turnaround and earnings. First of all, you know, we undertook a significant um, lift, you know, significant restructuring of manufacturing operations at, uh, in Queensland, which is our biggest plant. But there's, there's no doubt that coming out of COVID with government stimulating the economy, particularly in the housing sector, but also in infrastructure, we've seen a lift in demand for our products. Yeah, and through that period of COVID times, import supply chains were disrupted. Now, imports make up one third of our market. So we compete against one, which is a significant proportion of the market. Um, supply chain disruption, I guess, uh, more Australian made sentiment as, as customers wanted to buy local to support the Australian economy, but also we're short of supply chains. 
and even and now, as we see today, significantly increased international freight rates has made uh, local manufacturers very competitive sustainably against uh, against imports. Okay, well, let's come back to that because I think that that's important. But you mentioned something there which uh, intrigued me. You, you did a restructure in two thousand nineteen ish. What? Why did you feel you needed to do that? What did it cost you? And what did you restructure it to? Look, all of our um, manufacturing plants, apart from our big plant up at Bremer Park in Queensland, make make money right through the cycle. But that plant is our largest single plant had four extrusion presses, two paint lines, and a big anodizing plant in that site, a very big site. Um, all of our other plants, the single press plants, this, is, this was the big behemoth. Uh, we built it what, around 17 years ago, um, and it struggled to make money through that period. So the restructure we undertook in 2019 was well and truly overdue. The reason that it took us so long to do it was because we were locked into a 20-year lease on that site. Uh, but with that lease coming to close to its end of its life, we were able to renegotiate the lease, sublet part of the building, close down the unprofitable parts of that site and at that operation. We spent around seven and a half to $8 million in terms of redundancy and restructuring costs. Plus we spent around three or $4 million on automating all the packaging in that plant. So that's been a significant turnaround for the business it's taken in excess of $8 million worth of fixed cost out of the plant. And with the automation we put into the plant, it's also made the plant more efficient running. Did you borrow money to do all of that? No, we did out of cash flow. Okay. And how is cash flow today? Well, how's cash, yes, cash position today and what, what is cash flow? We, we've run net cash positive um, for the last four, four or five years. Um, and uh, certainly our cash position that, you know, at the end of uh, last financial year, December was around 40, 40 odd million. Uh, we made an acquisition uh, of a competitor's extrusion plant earlier this year, so that cost us around about $12 million. But we we always run, aim to run cash positive. Right, okay. So any more um, acquisitions coming through? Because, I mean, I noticed in the presentation you're talking about having about a quarter of the market as it stands. And obviously, you're going to want to come and tell me about a growth story today. So is that going to come through acquisition, organic, or, or indeed, as you mentioned earlier, is the fact that, you know, cost of... Uh, imports is significantly been increased by you know well lots of factors. Where's it coming from? Look, you know certainly we think that there's been a you know a strategic you know a real shift in the market in terms of um, moving away from imports and, and a higher proportion to local supply for all the factors that I've just mentioned. But we're also looking at acquisition opportunities. One of those came along late last year and we finalised that deal in February. So we acquired a, a plant in Sydney off one of our local competitors. Um, who had put more capacity, they're a Queensland-based company and they, they invested in more capacity into Queensland. So this opportunity came up and we're able to acquire that plant for around about 30% of its replacement cost. So look, we, you know, our focus at the moment is getting, the, getting that plant um, up and running to full capacity, um, which will generate further profitability for the business going forward. So that's strategically really important to have that additional plant based in Sydney, which is our largest market. So that now gives us two presses in, in New South Wales, which is very important. Okay, so you've got, you've got the capacity, we better talk, which is obviously the supply component. We better talk about the demand element. You said the, the, um, the Australian government is obviously incentivizing um, state by state as well. Uh, new builds, there's a lot of new builds. I think through COVID, people are also 
deciding not to move around so much. They're they're you know upgrading their houses. They're they're also doing a lot of work there. So is that the, the property bit aspect you said is a significant portion of the revenue? Is that sustainable? Is that going to see you? You know, is the next five years look the same, or are you just taking it year by year on that front? Look, it's um, there's no doubt that the housing market is the most variable of the markets we play. Housing market goes up and down, as we know, and we are heading towards a peak. The the amount of work work that's in the system at the moment will take us right through until the end of 2022, at least. There's so much work for builders to complete. Their order books are full. Uh, the market is extremely buoyant. And so we are expecting that housing market, um, level of housing market and the work in that pipeline to continue right for, you know, for the next you know, 12 to 18 months. You know, that, that will, the market will taper off after that. But the other parts of our business, which rely on the industrial sectors, are pretty steady and they grow at you know, in line with um, GDP growth, you know, two three percent per annum. Uh, plus, the government is also spending on infrastructure at the moment as well. So, you know, when you build new roads, you need trucks to transport material. When you're putting in new airports, like we are in Sydney, there's structure, you know, there's there's transport and infrastructure around that. So we see the outlook, the demand outlook, um, strong for the next two to three years at least. Okay, so when companies do well, you know, like I say, you had a kind of flat period there for for a while. Um, you know, you're not you're sitting on some cash. And you like to run cash flow positive, which is great. It's, it's a nice conservative approach to this. But when companies start to do well, especially in these bull markets, the decision making changes somewhat. They start talking about dividends when they've never paid dividends before. They start talking about you know you know growth growth profiles which they they just can't control. So. How do you future-proof your company in terms of the way that you approach, you know, delivering the business for your shareholders and and obviously your employees and and, and the board? Look, the the key things that we're concentrating on, look, from, a, from you know, our major objective is to pay be a regular dividend payer and be a high yield stock. Um, we we resumed paying dividends uh, around three years ago after the restructure, um, and we you know we're continuing to pay dividends. We've got. Franking credits on our balance sheet, um, well, franking credits available to us, um, which we will continue to pay. Tell, tell me about those, will, if, you, if you don't mind. So we, we, we have, um, Capital underwent, it's a bit of a long story, so just bear with me a second. So we're in a unique position where Capital has around $300 million worth of tax losses uh, for losses that were, which were generated going back into, you know, 10, 12 years ago when that, when the Bremer Park was being, plant was being commissioned. Those tax losses mean that we won't be paying company tax for many, many years ahead of us. In addition to that, we also have franking credits as a result of earnings earned prior to that period. So all the dividends we're paying and we'll be paying for the next three to four years will be fully franked, or even though we're not currently paying tax. So that makes our, you know, our, our dividend position very attractive and People ask us, well, why don't you've got excess cash? Why don't you return capital? Well, the best thing we can do for our shells is to pay fully frank dividends, which we'll continue to do. And we want to continue to be a, a good profit generator, a sustainable profit generator with good dividend stream behind it. In terms of growing the business going forward, you know, we've just made a, an acquisition of, of a competitor in Sydney, but there are other opportunities out. We have around five other significant, well, typically state-based uh, uh, competitors locally. Um, those businesses are, are you know, own, are private companies with um, ownership that is, uh, 
some of them nearing retirement and you know those discussions have have, be, have begun and um you know we're, we won't say we're confident but there's certainly opportunities out there for acquisition you know for for acquisitions and to i guess reorganize and restructure the market you know in the years ahead are you target that's not only in terms of the um, extrusion manufacturing, but also the opportunity to buy downstream distrib- aluminium distribution businesses. Which I want to come to. Are you a target? Look, we were a target by private equity uh, earlier this year. So um, one of the one of the eminent private equity firms in uh, in Sydney or in Australia saw an opportunity that we were undervalued. They made a, a, a bid for bid for capital, which. We put in front of our shareholders at seven dollars a share. Um, our major shareholders, you know, pretty much rejected it outright um, as being undervaluing the business. Um, but given that our share price had been trading sort of around the four to four dollar fifty mark, the, the board felt it was um, the right thing to do to put that offer in front of shareholders. But you know, our major shareholder, single shareholder, is Alan Gray. They own around 20 percent equity in the business, um, and they were fairly they were quite adamant that this was a Ten dollar plus year, and that we shouldn't be um, giving it away at this time. Right, so close to. But it, but it, it marks it marks you as a potential takeover um, target. So, I guess potentially shareholders yeah. will be you know factoring that into you know how they value you as well. Um, okay, so so that that's that's the kind of um, the sort of M and A component. What about? I know you've got three or four thousand product lines potentially, you know, in terms of extrusion products, but you know, some of those, some of those are going to be de minimis. I mean, I guess you get a massive drop off after I don't know the the first I don't know hundred um, product KPIs. Is is that about right? Is that fair to say? No. Well, let's look. See, I think one of the one of the, what we need to understand is that we we don't actually produce an end product. We don't produce windows. We don't produce product quality. Yeah, we're we're an intermediary, so we yeah. produce six meter lengths in the main of aluminium extrusions, which we supply people that fabricate windows or build trucks or right. build boats. Understood. So, um, you know, we don't have that tail off uh, of of customers. So our our customers to build a win, you know, our major window customers to build the suite of windows that they sell to their to the, to builders. They will have around four to five hundred different extrusions to make up their suite of windows. From you. So, and we and some of those will be yes high volume, and some of them will be low volume. So, it's. Um, but they need all yeah, of the so above, we, we, right? They need all, all of, of the of above. above. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Understood. Thank you for clarifying clarifying that. With regards to potential for you to move into different areas, new revenue streams that you're not in at the moment. Yes through um, M&A, but th- th- you could also organically grow some of those if you saw markets and you felt that the expenditure would be worth the while. So, you know, how, how do you look at growing organically? Well, I think growing organically for us really is growing our distribution, our own distribution business. So right. currently around a third of our volume goes through our own distribution channel to our small to medium customers. And part of that business is that we supply capital designed window systems to smaller residential window fabricators to service the, I guess, the smaller builders and also the commercial window window fabricators. So we have our own design system. There's a real opportunity. At the moment, we would have around 20% share of that market. And there's a real opportunity to grow that part of the business and grow our own distribution channel, which is far higher margin than selling to our major, our major customers directly 
you know, out of our manufacturing plants. So that's really the focus in our business. We need the volume through our plants with our large customers to being a manufacturing business and, and it's relatively low margin. But um, when we get the volume through our plants, we make good money as we're currently doing. But really in the, in the medium to longer term, organically, we want to grow our own distribution business and we've got some real opportunities to do so, that. So tell me about that because that, that's, that's a really interesting one for businesses when they try to do that because they've got to go, there's a cost of sale, increased cost of sale, obviously, yes. but you're capturing significantly more of the downstream margin, as it were. So what, what, is, what is the trade-off there for you? I mean, what size does the market need to be for you to be interested in? Uh, doing something like that. Look, that that market is you know is a large is a large market in Australia. Um, the markets that we're talking about and highly profitable. We have we already have the the structure in place because we you know we're already servicing industri- smaller industrial company companies through our distribution business, and we're all already servicing. Um, you know, the window and smaller window and door fabricators there. So that structure is already in place and has been for some time, but it hasn't been our primary focus. Our primary focus over the last eight years since I've been with Capital is getting our manufacturing operations profitable because uh, that's where the real challenge has been. But now that we've been through that restructure, we've got all our plants generating good profits and good volumes. Our focus in the last three years has been on growing our distribution business so that we take more control over our own destiny and pick up more of that value add in that that stream. Okay, so you're focusing on efficiencies, the operating efficiencies, and obviously the the Queensland 2019 rebuild and uh, reorganisation is a big part of that. Um, But where's where's the meaningful growth come from? So you can get efficiency, you can tighten... You know, the and, and, and get margin on operating level, but there's got to be like real meaningful growth for you know shareholders like to see the, the growth stories and like the share price, like say from beginning of 2020 to the beginning of COVID, has, has, has really moved. You know, a lot of things moving in your favor, but you're describing lots of small components which are adding up to the sum of the parts, as it were. But is there a kind of big well, move I, from? I think guys? all the yeah, look. I think yeah. Well, we're we you know. We like to talk. We're, we're pretty straight talkers in Capital. Uh, we've been, you know, we've been around a long time, and we've been through the highs and lows. And um, so, look, I, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but the op, the real key thing for us, you know, our profitability at the moment, because our plants are running at close to capacity, so the acquisition of new, this new plant is going to give us around about an additional twenty percent capacity. If we can get the volume through that plant, we'll, you know, the profitability of the business, you know, at 30 plus million dollar EBITDA levels is significant. And currently we're trading in a PE at less than five. So, you know, if we can continue just to do what we're doing, there is significant value in capital, let alone the opportunities for growth. Now, look, the real opportunities for growth will come around, you know, rationalization of competitors within the market. You know, we're only 26% of that market. We've got the opportunity to grow. The real beauty of that is, is if the right acquisition opportunity comes up, because we've got $300 million worth of tax losses, if we acquire an aluminium business in the, in the same business, the earnings of that, those businesses that we acquire are also tax-free. So we won't be paying, you know, won't be paying company tax on those earnings for many years to come as well. So that gives us the opportunity to, to pay an appropriate price for any acquisition opportunities as they come up, come about, um, and also, as I say, those earnings will will flow to the bottom line on a tax-free basis. 
uh, which will be you know significant value to shareholders in the years ahead. Right. So acquisition by year is more meaningful for sure. Um, okay. So well, that's sort of partially uh, explains it. Can you talk about some of the competition because there's there's th- if a third of it's coming from abroad, presumably yes. is there a lot of that China mostly. Most yeah, China, yeah, China and Southeast Asia, but China's the largest. Yes, right. So they're presum- presumably, you know, you, you're going to see them sort of come back at some point. You you you, you, you expect them to come back at some point and be competitive again, do you? Or do you think that this is, you know, with the cost of shipping, with the cost of you know, freight, etc., it's all it's all just too much for them, and they'll look elsewhere. Look, the imports will always play part of our market. Play, play be part of our market. They've been here for some time. You know, it's uh, you know Australia's a high cost uh, labour environment and for manufacturing, so the, the, you know with the the common um, geometric shapes that are easy to produce and big volumes, China or Southeast Asia will always play a part. The supply, you know, the international freight rates are here to stay for at least another high freight rates is here to stay for at least another twelve months. Um, but we believe there's also been a paradigm shift in people wanting to buy local. Um, we've certainly seen that coming out of COVID. And, you know, you know, additionally, we're starting to see, um, you know, that as our, as our volumes go through our plants, that our cost base is very competitive, that, that the cost of aluminium in China is increasing um, as China is moving to... One of the advantages that China's had over us in Australia is that we buy metal at the global price of aluminium. Um, and everywhere apart from China buys aluminium based on the, on the alumni. China is able to supply its down, downstream um, extrusion businesses that we compete against at, a, at an aluminium price that's below the world price. That's changed, and that's changed significantly. We actually have anti-dumping project, uh, protection in place um, against China and against a couple of other Southeast Asian countries like Vietnam and Malaysia, and they've been in place for some time, and, we, and they will continue for another five years. And that keeps the, lo- the real low-cost um, damaging dumped imports out of the market, so that's all happened in the last, you know, last, you know, last few years. So, I believe that the, you know, that the, the imports are under control, that the the dump pricing is is gone out of the market, and that we can continue to run good volumes through our plants, uh, particularly with the new plant coming on board in Sydney, um, which will see our, our profitability, you know, stay or increase from the levels it currently is with, you know. That's that's interesting. that's really interesting. So um, with those anti-dumping protections in place, that, that that's great. That that really really helps you. With so I always come back to the, the, the China question. At some at some point, people forget the buy Australia or buy local thing, and they go buy cheap. I need I need to make margin. My business needs to make margin. Do you expect? And there's always way, the ways ways around around the system, as as it were. Do you think that the 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 Chinese factor will be will come back in and be a player in 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 Australia again at some point? Like I get everything you've just said, but in terms of how you protect your business, de-risk your business, you've got to assume things like that could happen. Do you expect something you know to come along in terms of the, you know pricing's high at the moment, but it, it may drop off again? So. What, what do you do in those circumstances? How do you adjust your business? Look, we've been we've been dealing with Chinese imports for you know well over a decade, probably fifteen years at low cost. The work we've done on the anti-dumping front over the past seven or eight years has been you know not game changing, but it certainly kept the worst of it out. As that's you know that 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 has stabilised the price. Uh, we're no longer seeing 
you know, product coming in at really, really, really cheap prices, which is undermining the market. And we don't think that that, you know, I'm, I'm conf pretty confident that's not going to happen for the foreseeable future, uh, particularly as China is now starting to reduce its and curtail its aluminium production capacity and smelting capacity in China in response to, um, you know, environmental impacts of in greenhouse reducing carbon emissions. So one of the one of the reasons why the LME price of aluminium has escalated so much in this year has been the announcement of China curtailing capacity. So I think there's been a fundamental shift. Um, not only do we have anti-dumping you know, measures in place, which give us a level of protection to keep the worst of it out, but there's also been a fundamental shift in terms of um, excess aluminium being produced in China itself in response to the environmental situation worldwide. Okay, and it's a sort of question which spins off of the buy, buy Australia or buy local thing, which is how, how do you um, sell? I mean, what, what does a contract look like? Are they people just stock up because you're an intermediary? Do they just stock up once a month, once a quarter, or do you have longer term contracts in place? Look, we, with our very large customers, we have annual contracts in place, but really they're, they're ordering, off, ordering off us weekly. Um, so they'll typically place an order for a week and we would supply it within, depending on the customer or their demands, but typically within within two weeks uh, in a manufacturing plant. So um, our, our distributor customers, we you know make lead times a little bit longer, but typically we're supplying all our major, you know, I guess, end user fabricators within two weeks of order. Okay. But our large ones, we will have a contract in place and pricing in place based on a fixed spread above LME for 12 months. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the supply is sort of just in time, but you do have longer, but those have those contracts grown in length during this COVID period as a result of all the things that we've Look, just we've been about? able to put more of them in place, put it that way. Okay. Yes. So it gives you more certain, more long-term planning and, and certainty of, of yes, your we've revenue. Had, we, we've had, certainly, the, you know, given the disruptions, you know, coming out of COVID, the market, I guess, booming quite quickly and the supply chain difficulties, a number of customers that we haven't dealt with before or we've had any of the small percentage of their business have come to us for supply. So we've ramped up the capacity in our plants to pretty much full capacity, apart from the one we've just acquired, which we're getting up to. Um, and we've been in a position to help them out. As a part of that helping them out has been that we've asked them to, you know, sign up for a 12-month agreement to take a minimum off-take. And we've never been in that position before. So that's, you know, that's also been a fundamental change. Did, did you find it and we haven't we haven't we haven't taken advantage of price we, we're supplying at a competitive price to those to those customers um because we, we want to retain it for the longer term did you did you find it surprising that someone you know a private equity um company would make a bid for you guys? i mean it's a it's a small market it suggests that they think there's potential for a roll-up which means it suggests there's potential for you guys to with your m a i know we talked about it at the beginning to target some other other companies to kind of capture the Aussie market because there's not too many players, are there? I mean, how, how many other um, players like you are there, local? We, we've we've five we've five extrusion competitors of scale. Um, they're, they're typically well, they're all regionally based. We're the only national, we're only with the national footprint. And yes, there is opportunities within within that within that extrusion um, manufacturing uh, realm to to make acquisitions. Okay, so can you just... And we're, we're, and we're now in a position to be able to do that. Right, okay. You put yourself in a position to do that. Can you just kind of run through the, your financials for me at the moment? Because I'm sort of looking at them here. Um, and I'm trying, what I'm trying to work out, are you one 
big market correction away from trouble or one big acquisition away from trouble? Or is it actually this has been set up to allow you to, as you say, go through a process of maybe picking up one or two of the, the competitors? Look, I, I think that we're, where we're sitting with our financials is, we, you know, we, we've certainly had very good you know, results in the last 18 months as we've come out of COVID lockdown in June last year, despite the challenges we're currently facing in Sydney and, and Melbourne, um, demand is still strong and our plants have continued to run, you know, you know, been up running, you know, pretty much close to capacity since June last year. On that basis, we're gonna we're gonna produce, you know, we've already given guidance out there a trading EBITDA number of around 33 million uh, for this year. Um, you know, where you know our market capitalization is, you know, is relatively low. We're trading on a this year that, that translates into a PE of um, less than five, as I said earlier. Um, you know, and, and our dividend, you know, fully frank dividend yield will, you know, will be will be quite attractive. Certainly, one of the most attractive on the ASX, I would have thought. So, look, we, you know, we think that we're in a in a really solid financial position. We've worked really hard to get here. The restructure we undertook in two thousand and nineteen was a game changer for us. Um, you know, so, we're, look, we're you know we're confident that the the demand in the market over the next couple of years is there. We've worked really hard on on, on making our plants more efficient uh, and more competitive. Uh, and we work very hard on, on uh, you know, grabbing new customers and taking advantage of the opportunity that's been presented to us in the last uh, 12 months to secure those customers for the longer term. In terms of growth down the track, um, as I said earlier, the, you know, the focus in the businesses and growing you know, in that high margin distribution business organically, which we have a really good, great opportunity to do. And we've been working on that steadily for the last two to three years. And plus, we've got opportunities for acquisition, which... You know, which will probably come up in the next year or two. Have you got your own proprietary um, software in terms of, you know, obviously selling to your customers and, and, and so forth? Is, do you own that? Yes, we do. We have, um, with our Windows system customers, our, the, the Capral, who, who, who build the Capral windows and doors, we provide them with the software in which to put all those doors together and do all the quotations out of those systems, yeah. Okay, interesting. So I'm just wondering where, where you know, has was there any more work going to be done on that? How sophisticated is that in terms of some of the things you've talked about in terms of potentially you know moving downstream and design and so forth? Yeah, well, we have um, just we spent the last two to three years. You know, once we got our manufacturing uh, businesses uh, sorted out, we've spent a lot of a lot of work on product development in our own window and door systems, particularly in the residential windows and doors, and also a new, a new a new commercial products to market as well, and supporting all of that. Is a completely new software program which will help our fabricators uh, put all those systems together in a you know really efficient way, right from you know ordering through that system into directly into Cas Capital's SAP ERP system, um, right through to supply and help them fabricate those windows. But would this ever go all the way down to retail? I know you're not at the moment. I appreciate that, but do you know what I mean? If you're talking about design and it's to help fabricators put it together, would you ever consider or contemplate? your company putting fabricating some of these products and selling them to retail we have had the opportunity to actually make acquisition downstream acquisition of window fabricators over the last uh, eight years that i've been here the challenge that we have is the, the bigger we don't have any expertise in that number one and secondly it would really we, we would compete with our largest customers um, which would be the best way to uh, lose a lot of volume at the end of the day. So, so no, we won't be going down down that far downstream. Okay. Well, look, Tony, really, really interesting. Um, I'd, I'd not looked at it 
this sort of business before. It's it's, it's kind of interesting, and it's, as you say, it's uh, not too many players in the market. Um, so it's interesting to see how you play it over the next 12, 24 months um, in terms of your you know your your growing share of the market. So appreciate your time today. You should uh, stay in touch. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's been really good talking. Um, look, I just leave a couple of key messages for everybody. Look, I, I really believe that this company has turned the corner. Um, our earnings are strong and will be for the next few years. We've got some great opportunities in terms of organic growth through our own systems business and distribution business, but also potential acquisition opportunities, not the least of which is we do have over $300 million worth of tax losses, which puts us into a, a really good position to make those acquisitions and take those earnings from those businesses tax-free into our shareholders' hands. So uh, thanks, Matt, once again. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.